Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Sam Farrow. Sam, welcome. Thank you. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Well, I have spent pretty much all of lockdown with Sam every Tuesday between 12.30 and 1.30. And it has been probably the highlights, well, definitely of my week. I don't know about you, where we've been with lunch with friends, a collection of eclectic people who bring together stories and laughter every lunchtime. It's been a joy. So it's been fabulous meeting you there. Oh, and you. Yeah, it's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. It's kind of kept me sane, if that's possible. It's And it's been really nice just chatting to people and not feeling like you kind of have to sell your wares as well. Yeah. So we have one hour of sanity a week. And actually, there is no sanity involved in that, that session. <laughs> it's complete madness, isn't it? It's bonkers. It's been brilliant. So thank you to the guys that set that up. Yeah. So that's where we met. And I remember sort of thinking well what is it that Sam does because she sits in front of a blind as she is now saying Farrow creative and I'm thinking what does she do and I had to google her and, and linked in with her to find out but why don't you just tell the audience Sam what is it you do? I am a qualified graphic designer I have been a qualified graphic designer for over 30 years I had to try and work that one out last night I was horrified and I basically do very good colouring in. So if you need a logo or you need us to think about your branding, your position, your proposition, your the personality of your business, if you need a bespoke website design and build, brochures, posters, anything that communicates your company, markets your company, then that is what I do and I have done for a very long time and I absolutely love it. So when you say you are a qualified graphic designer and you're very good at colouring in does this mean that you are counting those days that you used to do colouring in as a child as well in those 30 years? (laughs) Yeah oh you are so lovely Amy I knew I liked you yes I am. (laughs) Brilliant so just just so we got that cleared up. Yeah we got that cleared up everybody. (laughs) (laughs) well that that sounds great so how did you get into that right I when I was about 10 I had a teacher called Mrs Butler this is name and chain time and she told me that the only thing that I would ever be good at was sewing now just to clarify I was a terrible sewer But Mrs. Butler had absolutely no faith in me. I was, I had a bob. I had shiny patent shoes. I was immaculately dressed. And I think I just irritated her. And I wasn't born confident. I wasn't a confident child. I had the most idyllic childhood, really long. I was climbing trees until I was about 16. And I just had no confidence. I didn't, you know, I didn't. I was a bit wet behind the ears. I didn't really know about the world. And I think I just, I think looking back, I just irritated her. Anyway, 
I lost all my confidence at school. But the next year, I got put into a class and Mr Smith was the teacher. He was my teacher. And I absolutely loved Mr Smith. He was the most lovely, nurturing, tolerant man you could ever wish to meet. And he taught me about nature. He loved nature. Um, he taught me how to draw. He made me do wood carving. He taught me how to model with clay. And I, I felt like I'd sort of, I'd arrived. I'd sort of learnt to live. It was just, I just absolutely loved it. I was rubbish at maths. I still am rubbish at maths. I can add up, but don't ask me to take anything away without a calculator because you will end up with, well, I'll probably do you over. So yeah, it was, I'd found my thing. And from, I never looked back from the age of about 11, 12. That was, I loved drawing. Um, he, I remember one day he brought in this dead fox, which had been sort of Egyptianalized. What's the word? It was dried out. <laughs> and he'd found it on the road, a bit of roadkill. And you could see all the bones and the, the guts of it. And um, yeah, I, I drew that and yeah, it was just amazing, just amazing. And um, from then, after many years, uh, I decided to go to art college because that was that was the thing I loved doing. And that was it. That was the uh, age 11. You knew that was your whole destiny all sorted. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, let, don't get me wrong, I was crap at everything else, but <laughs> didn't have a lot of choice. No, I'm being glib. No, I, that was my thing. I loved it. I just loved it. So with the, with the colouring in and the logo and the branding and the, and the designing, how, you went to art college. Did you do graphic design at art college? I did everything at art college. I was there for seven years which is longer than a doctor or a vet gets to train. I, I didn't leave. So I went straight from school and I did jewellery, ceramics, modelling, uh, 3D interiors, and graphic design was the thing that I absolutely loved. I loved typography. And in those days, one million years ago, there were no computers. So we had to typeset everything. And we had to do something called copy fitting. So we had to use maths to work out how many words there were on a page before you got that set. And I always got it wrong, always. So my pages were always either too short or too long. So when the Apple Mac was invented, I saved up for six months all my money and bought one of the first Apple Macs that the, the college had actually ever seen. And I used to get the train from my home to Portsmouth, which is where I went to uni. And several days a week, I used to bring this computer in and it was massive. I don't know what went on in my head, but you know, this computer was coming with me. It was just mental. And back then they weren't the thin, gorgeous, waffer things they are today. This thing was like a Labrador. It used to sit on my lap on the train huge and it was shiny and gorgeous and yeah really heavy so it came with me wherever I went <laughs> how, how did you work out that jewelry wasn't your thing and but graphic design was that's a really good question 
I mean, I love, I loved all of it, but I just thought to myself one day, I can't leave these words alone. Every time I looked at the page that I, I was designing, working on the communication, I loved the, the basicness of, I wanted to find the purest form of communication using those words and pictures that I could that instantly told a story. And I just thought that was so exciting. So you're a fan of stories? Yeah, definitely a fan of stories. Love a story. <laughs> Tell us one, Sam. Tell us a story. Um, golly. Tell you a story. So when I when I got my first ever job, I was majorly excited and really really nervous um and I took my Apple Mac my baby my Labrador your Labrador my Labrador and I'd been there about two weeks and um these kind of burly men walked into the studio it was in Weybridge and we all sort of looked at each other and the boss was a bit of a geezer but you know he, he seemed he seemed nice enough but these burly guys walked in and they were like, right, um, everybody just, can you go and wait in the car park? So we sort of looked around and they started moving furniture out, Apple Macs out, my Apple Mac sitting there on the desk because I'm using that. And this guy starts to come over and he picks up my Apple Mac and starts walking towards the door. And I said, what are you doing? I don't understand, what, what are you doing? And he said, uh, yeah, we're the bailiffs, we've come to take everything away. And oh, I just started, I just burst into tears. And I was like, well, that's my Apple Mac, that's mine. And he said, well, unless you can prove it's yours, it's going. And I don't know why, but I loved this Apple Mac so much that I actually had the purchase documents in my bag everywhere I went. I mean, can you imagine how mental that is? I put it into my bag and I gave him the document. I said, it's mine. And he couldn't believe it either. And he said, yeah, all right, then love, go on, off you go. So I took my baby and I left and I never went back. That was my first job. <laughs> That's just brilliant. Can you imagine? That's probably the first for him, isn't it, as a bailiff? It's absolutely, yeah. Can't pay, we'll take it away. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, literally, I can't imagine the emotion of having saved up and that being your absolute pride and joy for it to then be taken from sort of in front of you. Yeah. No, it's just a mad, it's just a mad, every time I think about it, it's just like, how did I, why did I even have those documents in my bag? Yeah. I was a strange girl. Actually, I am still quite strange, it has to be said. So stories are a big part of what you do and a big part of helping your clients work. Explain how you get to the, the why for your clients in their businesses. It's really important for me to get to the why and I, I get really upset if I, if I'm not able to get to the why for whatever reason, I need to understand. I need to understand the person who has engaged us. I need to understand their business. I need to understand where they want to go, why they're doing it. And what we do is we, we write the story down first. So words and having a chat are really important because we get the copy produced and then and only then do we start designing so 
sometimes it's as much what people don't say to us as what they do say to us that is important. So, you know, some of some of what we're selling are hygiene factors, but a lot of it is, you're right, it's it's the telling of the story. People want to know why they're doing it, what they're selling, um, what their personalities are, if they can get on with those people. And yeah, we, we produce storybooks, I guess. Mm. Um, and that's the exciting part for me. And sometimes people will say to me, well, what, you know, I didn't even realise that about myself. You, you know, you've pulled this, this thing out about our business and we didn't even realise that that was important to, to our prospects and our clients. Um, and that gives the everybody's heard of the unique selling point that that's that point of difference that we that we get across for people we we tell compelling stories and only once we've got the copy and we understand the story and the journey can we design we don't we don't turn the handle and something pretty comes out we could but for us that's just vacuous it's a waste of time really it you could go on to Canva and do that so yeah we build up we build up a picture and it, and it's a memorable picture that has foundation and and meaning so with with companies are they resistant to taking on board what you're trying to help them with or do they understand quite quickly how important it is to have a why they love telling their story and i think they realize quite quickly that they've kind of come to the right place I think it's very difficult. Sometimes it's been quite difficult for them to find the right designer. And I think sometimes they feel that it hasn't been a nice experience. And, you know, 99% of the time we have a, a laugh. It's good fun. And it's a very pleasant, pleasurable experience. And it should be because... You know, what's not to like about people talking about themselves and getting across their products and how much they love their products and their passion. And that's what we pull out. And we take people on a journey. And where we start from, you know, people always say to me, well, are we going to get charged for this? And are we going to get charged for that? And I say, no, because this is an evolution. It, you know, we have to iterate to be able to get something where we start isn't where we end up. You know, we might think that it's going to end up at, at a certain place and it doesn't because we work very closely with our clients as a team and they'll, we'll show them a design and they'll say, love that. What about if we do this? What about if we do that? And um, we love that. We're not prima donnas about what we do. We, you know your business better than we do. And it, at the end, it starts to crystallise and we have something amazing. And usually what the client says is fantastic. You know, it really adds masses of value to, to to the look and the feel so you almost have to get emotionally attached to what you're doing I always get emotionally attached to what I'm doing but I am not a prima donna I do not if somebody doesn't like something I I would I want them to tell me because that's part of the journey if I know that they don't like that then it means okay that's great I know that they don't like that part so we can move on to this part but yes, I do get very emotionally attached to things um, design wise, because you do have to, you're bearing your soul in a way, you're, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing. Lots of designers can, can not do that. But I think because we are 
finding the why. And we care about the why. Yeah. I get, um, I do come and have a bit of a rant and a rave sometimes about, <laughs> about certain things, but. And I guess what you're doing is, is a real craft. I mean, it, it's a, as a designer, you are explaining somebody's business through a logo, through a brand. And it's quite a simplistic way of doing that, but it's telling a huge amount about the company there. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely why I fell in love with graphic design for that exact reason. Yeah, I, it's funny because when I first started 30 years ago, being a graphic designer was, it, it had a lot of kudos. And as the years have gone on, you know, most people think that they can do some sort of desktop publishing and people do. Uh, to save money, to save, you know, sometimes to save time. So that kudos has gone, I think. And there are a lot of graphic designers around. I don't think there are that many graphic designers left that sort of have that sort of dyed in the wool um, background of typography. And with this sort of advent of resources like Canva, it's quite easy to put together something that looks sort of passable. But whether that has longevity and it actually tells the right story and it has the right brand ideal, you know, probably not because there's a lot more to it. So, yes, I, I really do feel like what I do now that I've got older, it's definitely a craft. I, you know, I put my heart and soul into it and it is crafted. I do feel like a craftsman because there's a lot of experience there as well, it, it, you know. It comes from lots of different places. And how does the PSA fit in with this business? Um, so the PSA, I came across the PSA when I was doing, when I'd finished doing my TED Talk, TEDx Talk, sorry. And just such a lovely bunch of people, really non-judgmental, really nurturing, really caring, and just really funny, just great fun. So yes, doing the TEDx talk was was the route to the PSA. Now, not many people know what the difference is between a TED talk and a TEDx talk is, and why on earth did you come to do a TEDx talk anyway? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes, okay, that is a that's another story. So, a TED a TED talk is a is a is a big grown up type of talk. And a TEDx talk <laughs> is um, a more locally organised, smaller venue, uh, smaller amount of people. That's what I believe the difference is, but I could be completely wrong about that. Anyway, so I came to do the TEDx talk by a very strange way. Um, about 18 months ago, I had a really bad accident on my horse. Um, and I was uh, riding out with another lady and a big industrial tractor came up the road and um, it stopped in the road because it was a very narrow country lane and it couldn't get past and it was using the lane as a rat run. And I said to the rider that I was with, I don't want to go past in the trees because my horse was a massive a uh, grey Irish draft, 16, she's 16 two hands, 
And um, just as I was sort of telling her I didn't want to do that, she went, she went through. And my horse followed. I couldn't stop her. Um, it was all very, very quick. And she managed to get through because her horse was a lot smaller. Uh, in fact, a tank would, uh, would be a lot smaller than my horse. And <laughs> as I was going through, I was getting battered by branches. She was getting battered and pulled by branches. And if there's one thing my horse doesn't like, it's snapping. And there was a lot of snapping of these branches. And we got into the clearing and I thought she was going to go mental because she hates snapping. And she stood there for about a second or two. And I thought, oh, no, she's going to bolt. She's going to do something horrible. And then she did. (laughs) She started bucking backwards and forwards up and down and I thought I'm not I am not getting off there's no way I'm getting off I'm going to kill myself so I held on for dear life and then she stopped and I thought great okay okay we're through this we're through this and then the woman I was with's horse bolted so my horse bolted and once one horse bolts they all bolt they don't think they just go it's a fight or flight thing and I don't remember, but I got dragged along the road. I fell off. I got dragged along the road by my stirrup. And the next thing I know, there's um, four people standing over me, um, two people from an ambulance, and um, Kirsty, the bike lady, as she's now known, <laughs> and 80-year-old Patty standing over me. And um, Kirsty's saying to me, Sam, you've got to keep breathing, breathe, breathe. Um, and I'm thinking, well, I am breathing. What's she talking about, stupid woman? And uh, the, one of the ambulance drivers is saying to me, um, Sam, we need to move you onto the stretcher. And <laughs> I'm saying to him, don't touch me. I'm winded. I'm getting up in a minute. Just give me some space. Move back. <laughs> move back. And I don't really remember much else, but I do remember people kept saying to me, you've got to breathe. Just br- think about breathing. Stay. And then they were asking me questions. You've got to stay. Stay stay with us. Stay with us. And I was thinking, oh, it's just all really irritating me. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> um, anyway, long story short, I think it was about, somebody said it was about four hours. This um, helicopter comes and it's the um, air ambulance. And it takes them about an hour to land and they get out of the uh, they get out of the helicopter and they say to me, right, Sam, we've got to touch you. We've got to get you onto the stretcher. By this time, I'm a bit tired and a bit fed up with them all. So I say, yeah, OK, you can touch me. And I didn't know, but I don't think they're allowed to touch you unless you let them touch you. And I, for whatever reason, I just thought I was winded. I was an absolute nightmare. And... Um, yeah, it was it was just the weirdest experience, really. I, I honestly thought I was okay. And um, they had to, the ambulance driver said to me, we need to, I'm going to need to cut off your body protector. So I had this sort of metal um, body protector. So they, they started cutting that off. Sam, we need to cut off your, your jodhpurs. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, cut those off. We need to cut your boots off. Yeah, okay, whatever. So you cut the boots off. Then we get to the underwear. Sam, we've got to cut your bra and your pants off. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I'm only winded, but fine. Cut them off. And um, he says to me, well, at least now you can get some good pants. And apparently, I turned when I said, these are my good pants. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I and then he, they say to me, right, we're going to airlift you to Southampton. And I say to him, I'm not going to Southampton. I don't like Southampton. And he says to me, well, don't care whether you like Southampton, you're going to Southampton. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to Southampton because if I go to Southampton, you'll take me to Portsmouth. And I hate Portsmouth even more than I hate Southampton. I don't even remember saying this. So they, they put me in the ambulance. The air ambulance took off because it, it couldn't take me. And I got taken to the Royal Surrey and then was taken in another ambulance to St George's in London. And it turns out that I had broken um, my back, shattered my pelvis, punctured my lung, which is why I couldn't breathe, broken six ribs, all my fingers, my clavicle, I've taken all the skin off one side of my body and I still have quite a big hematoma on my legs. I had a big hematoma. Um, and I was at St George's for two weeks and I got absolutely obsessed like the other ladies on the ward with when I was going to do a poo. So <laughs> there were some, there were some interesting moments. There were some, there were some funny moments, but you know, there were some not so funny moments. So, um, and all this time I'm just thinking to myself, I'm, I'm okay. I feel all right about this, you know, okay. It's an accident, but and it's all right. But when I got home, I just came crashing down. Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. I had PTSD and um, I suppose at that point, I suddenly realised what it was like to have mental health issues, mental health problems. I, I suddenly thought, God, I've been so blasé with other people when they've said that they haven't felt good or they'd had issues, you know, why couldn't they snap out of it? And so the PTSD manifested itself in um, me believing that my youngest daughter was going to die. And um, that was just horrendous. I, I went through a period of um, um, preparing for her funeral. Um, it was just the weirdest, the weirdest thing. Um, but anyway, um, I, I got help and... I was saying to the P the PSA actually that you know you guys there were just amazing to me. You, sometimes in life you you walk along the pavement with people of life, don't you? And some people really have an effect on you, and they just kind of cradled me. They didn't have to do anything or say anything, but they were just so nice to me. And um, there's a guy called Rob May there, and he's been a friend of mine for a while. And he phoned me up one day and he said, I haven't heard from you for a while, Sam, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm good, yeah, I'm good, fine, fine. And he said, hmm, okay. He said, do you want to come for lunch? No, no, thanks. Thanks anyway, but yeah, lovely, bye. And he phoned me the next day and he said to me, I'm really not quite sure what's going on with you. I'm taking you to lunch. So I really didn't want to go, but I did. And so I told him the story and he said to me, look, why don't you come along to TEDx Woking? I'm my fat, my... um." My company, Ramsack, is organising it, they're sponsoring it with Woking Borough Council. So I said, no, no, I don't want to. No, thank you. <laughs> Horrendous. <laughs> no, I'm not going. Anyway, he said, well, look, okay, why don't you just come and watch? Just make some notes as if you maybe were going to say something and come along. So I went along and I did. I stood up and I was so nervous. I was shaking but everybody was just so nice to me. There was no expectation. 
they said how well I'd done. Um, they were, it was constructive, really, really constructive. And it was the, it was the slow journey to me rebuilding myself and believing in myself again. And as a designer, I, I mean, I didn't lose the ability to design, but I literally just thought I was rubbish. I just, I don't know whether any, anybody listening has had, you know, mental health problems or um, PTSD or anything like that, but I'm sure that, that you can identify with it if you have. Um, so yeah, that was, so I got through the first round. I'm not quite sure whether they felt really sorry for me, but I got through the first round and then I got legitimately through the second round and then the third round. And all of the time it was building my confidence. You know, people were laughing at what I was saying and they were saying nice things about me. And and then the day came for the TEDx and uh, I did it. I, you know, in a way I wasn't too worried about what they thought about the talk. We were given the word collaboration and everybody was, or my, my fellow speakers were talking about how great collaboration was. and how when they collaborated, this was the amazing outcome of it. And I guess it was partly how I felt, but I did that I hated collaborating. <laughs> and collaboration was a really bad thing and it had killed my creativity. But, you know, actually it was quite funny. It was, you know, it was just another angle on whether we collaborate or not. And actually Einstein says that we shouldn't collaborate. So, so there you go. And, I just felt euphoric after I'd done it. I was, it was, it was a real, uh, it really got me back on the map. So that's my very long uh, story. <laughs> my answer to your question about how I got to the TED Talk. Oh, that's incredible. And and it is an absolutely horrendous story that I, and I just imagine that whole I can see it. You described it so well. I can just imagine that road that with the, the huge horse and the, and the tractor and and just the the panic of being of seeing someone being dragged by a horse along by the stirrup. It's just you know it's just not funny. It's it's horrendous. Oh. And but it's it was bizarre the the sort of enormous inner confidence that you had in that moment of sort of denial that you were just so assertive. That was something that came out. It was interesting. Yeah, I think that's to do with my, I, 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 I now realise what my limitations are. It's really taught me. Um, I was 48 at the time, I'm 50 now. I'm two stone heavier than I was then. And I just felt infallible. And I guess I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know, this, is, this isn't an accident that I'm having. I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting up in a minute. And I suppose I've, I suppose because I wasn't confident as a child and then I had to learn to be confident I suppose you get to a point where you're sort of telling yourself you are confident aren't you and you are going to do it and you know I suppose I was just thinking to myself I think I knew I'd really really badly hurt myself I think if I if I'm honest I did think that uh, I wasn't sure I was gonna you know I wasn't sure what I'd done and I think I was just reassuring myself. It was ridiculous. I think, and and I and I actually put barriers in the way. I mean, they, they couldn't touch me for quite a while. So it's ridiculous, really. And and I suppose all of that, you know, that sort of weird childhood um, human 
hardwiring we have that we don't understand. It just, I don't know, it just kind of, it just, I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking. It just. And you didn't feel any pain? Uh, yeah, I did. But I, they, I, they gave me, they, I think they gave me morphine while I was lying in the road. Because mm. I think they, they knew. Or did they? I, I don't think they were allowed to touch me until we got into the ambulance. Like, I don't really remember. Just, yeah. And how many bones did you break? I don't know. It must have been, it must have been, that. I don't know. I mean, I shattered my pelvis. It was shattered. So that must have been quite a few pieces. <laughs> Yeah. Because the thing is, Amy, if you're going to do something, then you need to decide that you're going to do it properly. If you're going to, I mean, breaking a few bones doesn't get you a lot of sympathy, does it? <laughs> it's just like, oh, I've broken my toe. Oh, dear. Have you? Mm. Whereas if you say, look, I've broken nearly every bone in my body, then people are actually interested in you. It's quite an extreme way to go for a bit of sympathy, Sam. <laughs> do you think? Oh, okay. And you haven't been riding since, have you? No, no. I can't look. I've, I had to. Um, I've had to rehome her because I, I couldn't go near her. I mean, I did go near her, but then I started getting very upset, and then she started getting very upset. But we did have this amazing bond after the. Literally, when it happened, she, she was trying to find me. So. You can imagine this big tractor in the road and this ambulance and this air ambulance and all these people in the road, you know, because it was blocked for four hours. And there was she sort of picking her way through, trying to find me. Um, And it's, you know, that that also was very difficult. It was another layer of just awfulness on top of everything else. But um, I would never ride again and I would never let any of my children ride. Yeah, it was just the most shattering thing I think literally that's ever happened to me Mm. but you know at the time I thought I just winded myself and actually I probably had they probably just made it worse for me (laughs) there wasn't anything wrong with me so how did we get from sort of coloring in to shattering all your bones huh I don't know (laughs) (laughs) but essentially it was a good friend that cradled you and and brought you out and helped you on that journey yeah yeah it was yeah it was uh it was one of those sort of pivotal moments you sometimes have them don't you in life Mm. sometimes you don't and you just look back and think god that's what happened then that was that was amazing that that happened because that meant this then changed but that was looking back that was a an absolute moment for me that somebody cared enough to a ask me out to lunch, and b knew me well enough to say you're not okay, are you? So yeah, and then to kind of you know get me to do something, even though I was behaving like a spoiled three year old. No, I don't want to. No, no, you know. So it was that kind of yeah. I, I think the word is cradling. It was kind of I didn't have to do anything. It was just care and you don't have to sometimes do anything to care do you you just you're just there so and has it changed your work how you approach your storytelling at all yes I think it goes back to that word you used of craft I really feel very much more connected to what I'm doing because it matters so much more to me um not that it didn't matter before it did obviously it did but 
I suppose there's an awareness that I'm actually really very lucky. I'm very lucky to be involved in something physically and mentally that I absolutely adore doing. And I can help other people in a way. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm paying my mortgage by doing it as well, but it matters hugely to me. I don't, I think it, the accident made me realise that I, I couldn't lose that because that would just... I'd just be losing a lot of myself and, and I wouldn't know what else to do because it, I, I've been doing it you know it's been a conscious exercise since I was about 10 11 12 whatever it was what was the question again you love doing what you do that, oh yeah well I just asked if it changed the way that you work for clients and and the answer was yes yeah yeah, yeah. yes yes yeah so you learnt your limitations, but uh, in a tough, tough learning on that one. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, there must have been an easier way, mustn't there? <laughs> to become more risk aware, I'm sure there is, yes. but um, Yes, less blasé and less arrogant, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, you'd have to ask my husband about that. Well, I, I am so privileged that you shared this journey because I know it, it's a very emotional part of your life and it's a... It's, uh, it's a big deal sharing this so thank you oh thank you thank you for listening to me oh, it's a pleasure and how would people get in touch with you if they need some coloring in done oh yes or just a chat you know if you break any bones i'm your woman so um i have a new website which i launched yesterday it's www.farrowcreative.co.uk and I'll be delighted to just have a chat about anything, really. So you don't have to phone me about colouring in. You can phone me about anything. I, I'm, I'm being a bit flippant because it's not colouring in that you do. You you said that right at the beginning. I'm no, just using is. your words. I do colour in and I'm very good at it. <laughs> and actually, people understand colouring in more than they understand graphic design. So that's fine by me. <laughs> well, I'm sure people will absolutely be contacting you if they need any help with their graphic design. One final word from you, please, Sam. Don't look down. Just keep one, putting one foot in front of the other. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.